0: You have your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to the book of Jonah, there in the Old Testament. I say it's there in the Old Testament because if you're looking for it in the New Testament, you're going to be here for a while. All right? The book of Jonah. And specifically, I want us to look at chapter 1, verses 3 and 10 for our text. While you are turning, let me mention to you that I started this series of Jonah the last Sunday in June. And this today is the second in the series that comes an entire month later, the last Sunday in the month of July. God being my helper will not move that slowly in the days ahead, all right? But in Jonah chapter number 1, verses 3 and 10 for our text. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them Unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And in verse number 10. Then were the men exceedingly afraid. And said unto him. Why have you done this? For the men knew. That he had fled from the presence of the Lord. Because he had told them. I want us to think this morning about the subject of running from God. Running from God. Let's again look at the words of our Savior in Matthew. Keep a marker in Jonah. But over in Matthew chapter number 12, the Lord had something to say about this. In Matthew chapter number 12, the Bible begins with verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, But an evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. It seems that whenever the Lord turned around from one side to the other, there was always a group of people asking for a sign. In the 16th chapter of Matthew, the Pharisees also came with the Sadducees and tempted, desiring him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now notice the emphasis is on the word sign s i g n sign it is the greek word semion semion and it means a sign a miracle a token it means a wonder it means an indication And it indicates a proof. What they were asking for was proof that Jesus Christ was really who he said he was. He had had a long talk with a woman at the well of Samaria. And she finally said, we know that when the Messiah's come, he'll tell us all things whatsoever we need to know. And Christ said to her, I that speak... Under thee am he. Now he gave her indication to cause her to fully envelop faith and believe that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, what they're asking for in Matthew chapter 12 is give us a little proof. We've heard a lot about you, but we want to know for sure if you are who you say you are. They wanted a miracle, they wanted a token. They wanted a wonder to be performed before their eyes. They wanted some indication. They wanted some proof. It was not enough that he gave them his word, who he was. They wanted something in addition to that. Thomas had a problem with this. Unless I see a sign... I'll not believe that Christ is risen from the dead. I want to take my finger and put it in the holes of his hand. And I want to be able to take my hand and thrust it into the wound of his side. Then he was asking for a sign. And in Matthew chapter 12, the Lord Jesus is very careful to respond by saying, There shall no sign be given thee except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, even so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. A lot of folks today are still looking for a sign. They're looking for a sign from heaven. They were looking for a sign from outer space. There is no sign. It's already been indelibly inscribed in the Word of God. And it's the prophet Jonah. Now to best understand Jonah, one must keep two things in mind. Number one, Jonah was a real person in history. He was not a make-believe. He was not just someone who had been developed in a narrative. He was a real person in history. The scripture says in Matthew, as Jonah was. Now another way you can say that is this, Jonah was. I mean, he was. You know, fairy tales aren't real. But human beings are real. Jonah was. Jonah was as much a real person as Jesus Christ is a real person. As much of a human being, actually, as one like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was as real as the 12 disciples and the Apostle Paul. He was a real human being, Jonah was. We're dealing with an historical event in this series of sermons. Jonah was literally swallowed by a fish. It was a fish. It was a big fish, and it was a hungry fish. And the fish swallowed Jonah. That is a matter of fact and not fiction. It's not some little fairy tale story that you tell your children before they go to bed at night. This actually happened. A huge fish described as a whale, a big mammal, swallowed a human being And his name was Jonah. He was a real person in history. Now Jonah foreshadows the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the sign the Lord is going to give to the Pharisees and to the scribes who were asking, show us an outward manifestation of this he said, there'll be no more manifestation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What you read in Jonah is the gospel according to Jonah. And what I preach unto you, speaking of Christ, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the same gospel, whether it's found in the Old Testament or the New Jonah foreshadows the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So shall the Son of Man be. Please keep in mind this little phrase. I think it will help guide you correctly in interpreting the book of Jonah as Jonah was, Christ is. Did you see it? As Jonah was, so shall the Son of Man be. If you want to see Christ, look to Jonah. And when you look to Jonah, you will see the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel of Jonah is the death, burial, and resurrection. Now, then, let's get into the heart of the message itself. In our first message of this series, I dealt with the man Jonah and the book about a month ago, all right? I gave you a brief outline of the book, which we will be following in this study. Number one, chapter one tells us about Jonah being disobedient. He's man running from God. Chapter two tells us that Jonah was a man of prayer. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Chapter 3 of Jonah deals with the preaching of Jonah, the man running with God. In chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto the preaching that I bid thee. And chapter 4 deals with the complaining of Jonah, man running ahead of God. Chapter 4 of Jonah, verse 1 but it displeased Jonah. What displeased Jonah? What God did displeased Jonah. And ask you a question Has God ever done anything before you were a little bit displeased with? And you couldn't figure it out. And you had no answer for it. And though you said it. You said it very quietly. Why did he do that? Why did God do, do that? Jonah. Has been described. As the first man to discover the world. Was round. God told him to go east. And he went west. And wound up right back where he started. In the presence of God. Jonah's theology could be summed up in this statement. I will go and preach as long as it doesn't cost me anything. And I can preach when and where I please. And to the people I want to. But the rest of the world can go to hell. That was his theology. Jonah tries to get away from God. Let us look at verse number three again. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Please notice that statement from the presence of the Lord. You find it twice in verse number 3. You find it again in verse number 10. He rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. On this particular day, he got out of the bed and he said to himself, I want to get as far away from God as I can. And I'll do Whatever it takes to accomplish it. Tarsus, Tarsus, not Paul's Tarsus. Paul was born in Tarsus, but Tarsus. Nineveh was east in Assyria, but Tarsus was 2,000 miles west, probably in southern Spain. He won't get a long way from God. Notice please, dear Christian, fellowship with God was broken immediately when Jonah decided to get away from God. He knew he was out of fellowship with God and I believe we'll also know it. A believer knows when he's walking with the Lord and a believer also knows when he's not walking with the Lord do you think that David was sitting at home on the front porch of the castle and had to wait on a Baptist preacher by the name of Nathan to come over and tell him he's out of fellowship with God not at all David knew he had sinned against God by committing adultery he knew he had done God wrong he knew that and I will know it and you're no different from me, you'll know it also. if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you walk against God and walk against him and work against him. You'll be the first one to know something's not right inside. Fellowship with God was broken immediately to conserve time there is a passage in First John chapter one verses five through twelve. And I won't read it all. As I said I want to conserve as much time as I can. This is the message which we've heard of him. And declaring to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him. And walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light. As he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us. From all sin. Every believer out of fellowship, and I'll say it twice every believer out of fellowship with God tries to get away from the Lord. Usually, a child of God, a Christian, begins to evidence and to advertise he's not with the Lord. He stops going to church. I said, He stops going to church. Going to church is not optional. It is one of the highest privileges that you and I have as children of God to meet not just with God's people, but to meet with the King Himself and praise Him and rejoice in His presence. And you put this down. Anytime you begin to think lightly of your church, most likely you think lightly of God. He stops reading his Bible. There was a time maybe that the Bible meant a great deal to you. You loved to read it every day. Well, you're not reading your Bible lately. Why? You got cold, spiritually cold. And now, don't get mad and run off on me. I'm just getting started in this message this morning. He stops praying. He gets cold. He gets critical. Now, may I say unto you that sinners run from God, and the reason they run from God is out of fear. Unsaved people run from God out of fear. In Genesis 3, 9 through 10... And the Lord said unto Adam, and at that point, Adam was not a saved man. Adam was unsaved and unregenerate, and he had sinned against God, and he ran from God. The Lord said unto Adam, Where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and was afraid. I didn't want to hear God's voice any longer. Fear. Over in the book of Revelation 6 verses 15 through 17 talks about the glorious day when the Lord comes back that there are going to be different kinds of people all over the world crying out in fear that the rocks and the mountains might fall on them and hide them, hide them from the face of him that sits on the throne. Lost people run from God out of fear. They're scared death what God's going to do to them. Saints run from God out of shame. May I remind you in Matthew chapter 26, verse 75. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Why did he weep bitterly? Because he was downright ashamed of what he had done. So sinners run from God out of fear. Saints run from God out of shame and a guilty conscience. To get away from that knowing emptiness inside of knowing I'm really not what I ought to be. I'm not living for the Lord like I should. Now there is a futility in running from God it is described quite clearly for us in the 139th Psalm. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down You know my uprising. You know when I go to bed. And you know when I get up. And you understand my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all of my ways. God is acquainted with Dan Cozart's ways. God is acquainted with your ways and your thoughts as well. There's not a way, there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. You've beset me behind and before and laid your hand upon me Now he comes to this conclusion, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I mean, it's high. I cannot attain unto it. Then he explains it more in detail. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? How are you going to get away from the Lord? What what measures are you going to take to get away from the Lord? Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I free from thy presence? If I, I ascend up into heaven, thou art thou. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Say, aren't you thankful that you cannot get away from the Lord who saved you? And regardless of how deep we sin and the things we do, He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Running from God for a Christian is absolute futility. And there's a price of running from God. Do you notice that little phrase in Jonah chapter number one? He paid the fare thereof. Jonah was no deadbeat. He wasn't expecting anybody to do him any favors. He'd been saving money all of his entire life for some great thing he wanted to do, and this was it. He's going to get on aboard a ship and go to Spain to get away from God. Now, that's almost as dumb as the president of the United States of America. Where are you going to go? Would one of you Christians answer me that question? Well, you want to get away from, where are you going to go? And when he started running from God, he went one direction. He went downhill all the way. If you'll notice the text in verses 3 and 5 and all the way to the rest of that first chapter, number one, Jonah went down to Joppa. Number two, he went down in the ship. Number three, he went down into the hull of the ship. Number four, he went down into the water. Number five, he went down into the fish's stomach. And number six, he went down into the bottom of the sea. Down, down, down. If I could get off of this bench and this stool today as much as I would like to, I would tell you there's only one direction you go when you're running from the Lord, it's down, down, down. And usually God let you go down, down, down until you hit the bottom. And if a man ever really hits the bottom, he'll look to the Lord. And the only reason people live at the bottom is because they think they can work their way out of it. And you can't do it. Jonah runs into a storm. Look at verse number 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. You find that in verse number 4. Might I say to you this morning that arguing with God is a waste of time. Notice verse 3 begins by saying, but Jonah. Do you notice the writing there? But Jonah. But notice in verse number 4. But the Lord. But the Lord. Arguing with God is a waste of time. I want to make a statement and I want you to hear it clearly. Never. This is for me but it's also for you. Don't ever make an issue with God. Don't ever tell God what you want to. And don't ever tell God there's a certain sin you're not willing to give up. You'll give it up or go to hell. You're not going to out-argue God Terrible, you've got to come to a Baptist church and get preaching like that. But that's so. And that message needs to preach, be preached in all of our churches today. We lose every time we try to argue with the Lord. Satan provided a getaway boat, but God provided a storm <laughs> to stop it. Almighty God, not Mother Nature, is the perfect weather forecaster. Noah found this out. The Lord said, No, we're going to have flood around here. He said, What's a flood? It's going to be a whole lot of water. Well, what's water? It comes from rain. Well, what's rain? Stick around, and you'll see. And he was convinced, my dear friends, that God Almighty sent the flood. And it was a worldwide flood. And there would never been a judgment of God like it on this earth. The flood. God sent a storm. God has a perfect way of making us obedient. The God of the Bible, all right? Notice it says and uses in the King James, and that's all right, says basically the same thing. But in the King James, notice he sent. Let me see if I can find it. Yes, verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind. Now the actual Hebrew there, in the Hebrew tongue, is a little bit different. It says that God cast forth the storm. It has the idea that God in his glory and in his magnificence, speaking to himself says, what will I do today? I believe I'll send a storm and going to hit that target right there. And did you know what? He always hits his target. When he sends a storm, more than 25 people perished by drowning to death in Kentucky yesterday and the day before. They'd never seen such rain coming down. God just hitting his target, that's all. I've seen the handiwork of God after tornadoes, massive tornadoes come through, come down, looks like a certain path, and literally obliterating anything and everything in its path but all of a sudden the storm burped and went a different direction and there sat a little Baptist church. All the churches in town were knocked out but that little bitty Baptist God always hits his target. I'm going to tell you something today. God knows my heart. And God knows who I am. And God knows what I want to do. But God knows how to bring me to utter submission to his will. And he often does that very thing. Because he never misses the target. This wasn't just a general storm. I mean, this was a specific storm. Read about it. Read about it. I believe every person running from God is headed for a storm. And you may not hit it in the earlier part of your life, but it's going to come somewhere down the line and you're going to say at that time, God knew exactly what he was doing. Let me also expand a little bit on the futility of religion. What do you suppose these mariners did? The sailors, or these experienced sailors. I mean, I'm telling you, nobody knew how to sail a ship like they did. I mean, they were paid professional sailors. And they didn't know beans. What was going on? Let me read it for you. Then the mariners were afraid. They'd been in many storms before. Never one like this one before. The mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. And let me tell you something. Everybody has a God. There's no such thing as an atheist. An atheist has a God and his mind is his God. They cried every man to his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down in the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, old deadhead? Everybody was aboard the ship, scared to death of a life, except one fella, and that's a man running from God. He's sleeping like a baby. Why do you sleep so well? Arise, call upon your God. The reason they said that is their gods weren't working too well that day. Maybe your God can do something about this. If so, be that God will think upon us that we perish not. The futility of religion. Our world is eaten up with religion. Religion. Religion never has saved anybody and never will save anybody. We sang about who does the, Christ does the saving. I'm saved by his grace and by his power divine. The unsaved cry out unto their gods. What are their gods? The gods of religion. I wish I had the time. I do not, but I suggested that you study this thing out. Go to 1 Kings chapter number 18, where Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And they believed that their gods were greater than the God that Elijah was calling upon. And Elijah said, well, I'll tell you what you do. You call upon him, and I'll call upon him. And the one that answers is the real God. And they called upon their gods. As a matter of fact, you study the narrative on that, and they started praying about 8 o'clock in the morning and were still calling on their gods at 12 noon. Couldn't get an answer. And I'll tell you actually the reason for it. But Elijah gave them the reason for it. God is busy doing something else. And after church, I'd be glad to tell you what they said their God was doing. He was using the bathroom. Now, God's busy, but he's not going to stop what he's doing to hear you. I mean, Elijah really got close to him, didn't he? They didn't care too much for calling him as their pastor, did they? The unsaved cried out to their gods. They tried human effort and works. There in the 18th of 1 Kings, they begin to cut themselves and lacerate their flesh. And the blood began to spill. And they thought they could please their God with their blood. You know, when I was a kid, when I was a child, there's a group of people up in Tennessee, they're snake handlers. Have you ever heard of them before? They really lived. And I'm telling you, those people really did handle snakes. They believed that they could handle a snake and that snake would not bite them, that it was an evidence, it was a sign that God was with their religion. And it was a very serious bunch of people. You don't hear too much about them today. The snakes ate them all right. They tried every human effort and works, and then they looked to the preacher. In our text, they finally said, let's go down and talk to the man that's sleeping down in the hull of the ship. Let's go down and talk to Jonah. And they called him a dead head. They called him a sleepy head, which Jonah's nickname of obviously was at that point. Jonah was asleep. Not only was he asleep physically, he was asleep spiritually. He was spiritually chloroformed. He was unaware of what was going on and you know I believe there's so many people today I don't want to be one of them I want to know what's going on and did you know the biggest bulk of the United States of America have no earthly idea what serious trouble we're in today and we may never see a country as we've known America to be ever again but they have no idea what's going on Romans 13 11, that knowing the time and I wonder if we really do know the time knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed Jonah could not pray you know why he couldn't pray because he knew it wouldn't do any good. Have you ever prayed before and it didn't get very high, maybe two inches off your lips until it hit the roof or the ceiling of that? Why doesn't God hear me? Psalm sixty-six eighteen 18 gives us the answer to that church. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear that's what David said. God hears not the prayers of sinners nor of the saints if they regard iniquity in their heart. Guilty Jonah is exposed. Verse number seven. They said one to another. Pardon me, they said everyone to his fellow. Come, let us cast lot that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Now, that's not all important, but it's very important because it's a part of the Word of God. How could they find out if what they were doing would be pleasing to the Lord or to God? It was determined by two methods. Number one, by drawing names from a hat. You will read in Acts chapter 1 verse 26 that after Judas had betrayed the Lord, he went out and committed suicide, but it created an absence in the number of the apostles needed. And so they're going to try and determine what God's will is in selecting another apostle in the place of Judas. And so they drew names from a hat. Judas must be replaced as an apostle instead of waiting on the spirit. They drew names instead. The name of the man they drew was Matthias. And you don't read anything else about Matthias in, in the New Testament. He's not there. Oh, by the way, you know whose name was in... God chose the apostle Paul to be the, the apostle. But I'm just simply saying this, you want to know God's will, don't go drawing names from a hat. Stay out of the lottery. Second way they found out God's will was throwing pebbles or stones. There's a little word, L-O-T, lot, in the New Testament, or rather in the, in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word, G-O-R-A-L, goro. It means a pebble the throwing of pebbles. Now, you take that word out of the Hebrew and bring it over into the Greek, it is the Greek word D-I-E, die. And the plural of die is dice. They actually cast lots or cast dice, probably black stones and white stones with certain markings on them. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 35, and I won't pursue this any further, but I thought it might be interesting. They crucified Christ, and they parted his garments, casting lots. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Similar to casting dice. Casting lots was a way of knowing God's will. In Proverbs 16, verse number 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing is of the Lord. Study Leviticus chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Study Exodus chapter 28, verse number 30. The Urim, U-R-I-M, and the Thummim, T-H-U-M-M-I-N, The Urim and the Thuman were probably two stones that hung on the breastplate of the high priest. And he would pray that God would light one of those stones up so he would know what decision to make. It would light, it would indicate the decision of the high priest located by the priest. May I say to you lots... Are not needed today. We have the complete word of God. And we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now all of the sailors knew who was guilty. And who the guilty party was. In our next study. We'll see what they did about it. I hope you'll come back to our services next Sunday. And allow us, if it please the Lord, the privilege of handling His word and teaching His word in the book of Jonah. (coughs) You've been so kind this morning. You've listened very carefully, very attentively. I do believe that the people who know the most about the Bible in the church are the people usually who bring their Bibles and who follow along in their Bibles and who make notes in their Bibles. And study the scriptures. And I encourage you to do that. Be more interested you are. In what God says. Than what Dan Kozart says. Or any other preacher. You want to know what God says. In his word for you. Study your Bible. Let's stand please for prayer. Father in heaven. Thank you so much. For meeting with us today. And Lord keep us as the wickedness of Jonah from trying to run away from you. Oh, God, there have been times when we did that very thing. And much to our defeat, oh, Lord, it took such a long time for us to learn the lesson. I pray that you'll be with this church, a church that I love with all my soul and with all my heart. And I pray for our people here. And I thank you for those who are present. And we pray for those who are not present today. God strengthen this church. Build this church with Bible seekers and Bible teachers and Bible students and help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in Christ's name. For his sake we pray. Amen. Brother Roger.